The COVID pandemic has led to devastating job losses in 2020. But can companies avoid substantial layoffs during difficult times? Today's guest believes that they not only can, but should. In this episode, I speak to Tom Vanderlub, co-founder of the financial services company VC, about the power of solidarity in organizations and why layoffs may not be the best solution during difficult financial times. This instinctive reaction of there is a crisis and then you should lay off as fast as possible your people, that is just not the case. Tom is the co-founder of VC, a financial services company that offers customized mortgage solutions for highly educated customers. And his mission is to leave the world in a better shape than it was when we were born. Tom had cancer at age 20 and learned that life can be very short. So he wanted to spend time on things that matter. He believes in a why of individuals and organizations. The why is the motivational engine that gives fulfillment in what we do. So, ready to dive into the power of solidarity, how organizations can avoid layoffs during challenging times, as well as the reasons why they should? Let's discuss. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this is Humans Now and Then. Tom Vanderlove, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thank you very much, Rebecca. Yeah, so glad we get another opportunity to chat. So Tom and I had an opportunity to talk a few weeks ago and really an interesting topic in this day and age. So as I'm sure all listeners are fully aware, uh, we've had this you know little pandemic happen <laughs> across the world. And as a result of that pandemic, of course, businesses were significantly disrupted. And there are multiple ways those businesses responded. Um, Tom has a specific interest in thinking about how companies can maintain solidarity, support their employees, and avoid going to a layoff structure in order to uh, maintain profitability or business viability. So Tom, let's dive into that topic. Let's talk a little bit about um, layoffs in particular and how companies might uh, tend to go that direction in times of crisis. Yeah, that's a very good topic. I wrote an article on a platform which is called Corporate Rebels. And the title is, um, it's about solidarity, stupid, which is a remark to, it's about economy, stupid. And uh, the title was, why avoiding layoffs makes sense. And uh, in this article, which starts with solidarity in times of crisis, I try to explain to companies or managers or CFOs whose instinctive reaction is to lay off people very fast, that the opposite makes uh, sense. And that's a little bit provocative. But I explain in the article that there are uh, numerous ways of discussing layoffs first before you uh, lay off your people. Right. And I will put that link out to that article out in the episode notes so listeners can find that. And so one of the things that you talked about in the article is that it seems counterintuitive, like you mentioned, yep. to maintain employees when um, revenue streams are starting to tighten up. But there is actually some tremendous benefit in backing up those employees. Um, let's expand a little bit on that. So what are those benefits for keeping employees on board, especially uh, when, let's say, money's tight for a business? Yeah, what I describe in this article and which probably everybody understands immediately that in times of crisis, people expect solidarity. 
And we see this in society. So if you have neighbors who can't go to the grocery shop, elderly people, etc., you will just help them and say, can I do something for you? And that becomes, let's say, clearer in times of crisis. And the same happens in companies. So you always have the discussion about the priority or hierarchy of stakeholders. But in times of crisis, everybody understands immediately that you want to keep your people together as a team. And that if everybody let's say, could handle this, you want to say, okay, let's try to get through this crisis together and try to avoid uh, layoffs. So it's kind of human or humanistic reaction which takes place. But because of the fact that these hierarchy of stakeholders normally is very shareholder dominated, the instinctive reaction is to cut costs immediately and we don't reflect on that. So there is enough research done on that, that uh, if you, for instance, take the whole concept of psychological safety of Amy Edmondson, uh, uh, professor of Harvard, uh, that if people don't feel safe or people fear that your productivity goes down the drain. So the first step is to say, let's try to get together through this crisis. The second step is to say, okay, how much liquidity do we have? And then make this transparent. And then the third step is then, okay, what are the consequences or what are the scenarios? Which doesn't mean that you in the end have to lay off people, but the instinctive reaction should be putting people first because otherwise you have a lot of fear and nothing works out anymore. It's a little bit like the rabbit in sitting in front of the snake, just waiting uh, until the snake bites. So, And there are some examples of companies who behaved like this. So these are more the individualistic examples. Uh, Bob Chapman in the US or an, uh, at this moment then price of gravity payments. But there is also a kind of logic for this. So you can still say with this liquidity, how much time do we have? And then the second alternative you have is, and that's more the European one, can you discuss with the whole company if you can reduce together, I would say, 20 or 30% of the time. In Europe, you also have this effect that the government will help you to cover the other 30%. So they just support you. But there are two options. Do you lay off 20 or 30% of the people? Or do you start a discussion, shall we all work 20% less? And then I just split this from the topic about of the salaries. And then the third, even much more intelligent option is, and that's what Bob Chapman, but also at, at, at this time, then priced it, just have decentralized discussions in the teams where people themselves try to discuss what makes sense. Because perhaps there are colleagues who want to work let's say 50% less for a certain period of time because they have enough means, they have a partner who has a good job, they have, for instance, a certain amount of money or liquidity for themselves and they are willing to support their colleagues. But solidarity also on a team level is much easier to create than if it's in a whole company or in a whole society. Absolutely. And I think what's really interesting too, there's a compelling case about the enhanced need for innovation during difficult times like this. Companies need new ideas in order to kind of shift direction very quickly and try new directions and new things and potentially new products or new ways of doing business in order to thrive in a new environment. And by reducing the amount of fear in the environment, so fear is a big detractor from things like innovation because people are not feeling comfortable enough. As you mentioned, they don't have the psychological safety in that environment to be able to bring new ideas and take some level of risk in order to adjust to this rapidly changing world we're living in. 
So you had mentioned kind of in your article about the image that it portrays to out in the world of companies that lay off a swath of people during difficult times. There's an image that is put out in the world about those companies that might not be positive. And so what do you think the impact of that image might be on a business beyond just kind of thinking about the people within the organization and the fear they might be experiencing? But also, how would that impact a business when they um, appear to be potentially heartless? Yeah, I think on the one hand, you have this whole topic of innovation. And one uh, remark on that, if people would, for instance, everybody would accept in a company to work 20% less or get 20% less salary, but people still would, let's say, invest this 20% extra on innovation, you have this example of Google where people were allowed to put 20% of their working time in innovation. So I think that's easy to understand. Then to your question of the, let's say, how are you seen as an employer? You have on the one hand, you have the discussion going on that if you just have opposite situations, on the one hand, people feel secure, are productive, and they feel cared about. So they really feel in times of crisis that there are not human resources, but human beings. And that a company says, we'll try to keep everybody on board. That's a kind of psychological commitment, which is very difficult to measure in times of money. And we always want to measure everything. And then you can ask perhaps people, how do you feel? But everybody understands that if you can take out of fear at least, or at least position yourself as somebody who wants to save people, that is something different than we don't care about you, your human resources. Let's have a look at the Excel sheet. Uh, the other aspect is that if you ask companies during normal times, where is the comparative advantage in comparison to their competitors? They always say people. But if you see the Maslow pyramid and you talk about security, then how do you continue after the crisis if you have shown in times of crisis that you don't care about the people? So I think that when the crisis will be over, there were a lot of people who just will reflect on those experiences that they made in times of crisis and say, okay, let's, let's look for another employer because I didn't feel treated well. And people are discussing this kind of topic. So if people are in a situation, and it's a common situation at the moment, it's not, let's say, that you have problems in the steel industry or the car industry. No, it's a, even a global topic. So people discuss with each other, no matter even on an international scale, what is happening in your company right now. So the idea that it won't have any effect on uh, the way you're seen as an employer, that would be, I would say, a wrong conclusion. Everybody understands this. So Tom, I know recently you did uh, some research or a study about perceptions of companies in relation to their social responsibility, but also in the responsibility they have towards their employees in relation to things like layoffs or financial disparity. So I'd be interested to learn more about the results of that survey. Yeah, the interesting thing is that you see, and in a way, I think people understand the conclusion of those studies, is that people like when companies show solidarity. And on the one hand, that has to do with the fact that a lot of people probably also think about being laid off or uh, about the risk of that. So it has um, probably a lot of people also discussing this kind of things that people say, I work in this company and the company is very much focused on uh, keeping everybody on board and behave in a very responsible way. 
or for instance, shareholders put money into the company to keep everybody on board. But the other interesting aspect is, is that also because uh, this COVID crisis is going on for longer now, that people also start to think about their behavior as consumers. So you've seen a lot of countries that, for instance, people buy much more stuff in the neighborhoods or go to their local bookstore instead of ordering at online platforms, etc. So what does it mean? In the end, does it mean that if you behave in a responsible way, that is good for your business? And that's something which I find very positive because it means there's not a kind of contradiction between behaving well and business. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And I think that's one of the things that as we kind of go on with the pandemic, one of the things I've read a lot about recently is the level of uncertainty that we're facing, of course, that is very evident, but the impact that that's really having on people, on not even just employees, but people out in the world. So when you look at folks that have some level of economic instability, because maybe they've lost their job, or there's a potential they'll lose their job, or people that just aren't sure what that future might hold and where that might be taking them. I think that focusing on things that seem stable, when companies seem like they care about their communities and care about what happens outside of their organization, certainly that seems to have a bigger impact. It's a more important focus to many people, uh, given this uncertain world we're living in today. Yeah, I think it's people go back to this kind of uh, responsibility in their local communities. I think more or less in all those countries. But I think the very positive thing about it is that for a lot of people, you always have the situation to say, okay, for business, it would be good to behave like this. And, and let's say for a more human point of view, it would make much more sense to behave in another way. But in this case, there is no contradiction. So that's the positive news about this. But still, it's very understandable that let's say if you have a restaurant or a indoors and you can't serve guests, etc., that you're in a totally different situation than, let's say, a company which is a software company. But this instinctive reaction of there is a crisis and then you should lay off as fast as possible your people, that is just not the case. Yeah, absolutely. And there's been a lot of research too, and I've read a lot of it lately because it's starting to kind of pop back up again about the impact that layoffs have on individuals and that it's very difficult to recover from a layoff because from a very human perspective, you know, our job gives us a sense of purpose and belonging. And so when we lose that sense of purpose and belonging, maybe that's attached to our ability to be able to support our family and to maintain our livelihood, there's a tremendous amount of loss involved with that that can have a persistent effect for a long period of time. And when you look at many layoffs happening, I was just speaking to somebody earlier this week from Australia. He mentioned his entire state is on lockdown. And we're talking about thousands and thousands of people that have lost their jobs um, as a result. Um, You're talking about a major impact to that community because of these layoffs, the impact that that has on those individuals, those families, and the the resulting effect of that. Of course, we think about organizations finding different opportunities to continue without kind of falling back on layoffs or trying to figure out the best ways that they can survive in lieu of layoffs. And then back to your point too, about finding some level of solidarity and thinking about the connection that we all have with one another, not only within our organizations, but as people out in the world or our people in our communities. Yeah. But if you just see, for instance, the money which you spend, let's say from a governmental point of view on this, and you see, for instance, the differences between on the one extreme side, perhaps Denmark, where let's say 
yeah, to, put it, to put it a little bit bluntly, the state just continues to pay all the salaries. And on the other hand, let's say if you have to pay uh, for those people who are laid off, it is a kind of domino effect eh, all the time. So the question is, what makes more sense? But I think on the one hand, you have the possibility of saying, okay, let's try to avoid the domino effect. Because in the end, if you just see if people are laid off and you have to pay them unemployment benefits, etc., and then insurance companies lose their premiums, people will still end up in hospitals. The question is, in the end, does it make much more sense to try to avoid this kind of process and those effects? But in the end, let's say, if you don't take a responsibility as a government, then it's also very understandable that with those very small risks, because in the end, it's a small risk, most people have that people will will just not accept to lose anything or everything in comparison to this low possibility of getting sick so people would say i'm young or the chance that i will get this illness is not so high or i will survive it i'm not 80 or i'm not in this risk group etc and then i think it's very very difficult to tell people what they have to do. And I think that's where a lot of anger also comes from. So let's say from a European point of view, where governments inter- intervene in uh, at the beginning of the crisis and try to stabilize it, much easier to be very critical about, let's say, what's happening in the US or, or somewhere else, if you just know that the government uh, will intervene and pay the salaries. Companies can't pay uh, for 100%. Right. That context, that individual regional and country context is certainly important to think about and understand. I think there's an aspect there, too, of what we all learn from one another in spite of those different contexts and environments and political circumstances. You know, here in the U.S., of course, we have an unemployment system that is not meant to sustain people for a long period of time, but rather to be a bridge until further employment is found. So there are some parallels there, but certainly, if you're looking at it just from a human perspective, there is, of course, going to be a financial security concern that people have when they're facing layoffs or they're facing people in our community that are, are potentially losing their jobs or the, those jobs are at risk. For entrepreneurs and business owners, so especially small business owners that have been highly impacted, and I know we talked before about you know, having, you know, some money to be able to bridge a gap towards difficult economic times. But of course, small businesses may not always have that liquidity available to be able to bridge that gap. And I think there's another interesting aspect there beyond just the large corporations that are looking at layoffs and the impact that it has in their communities. But we're also talking about a huge impact to entrepreneurs and small business owners that are just trying to move forward and get by and may actually also be facing a loss of their livelihood uh, because of difficult economic times. Yeah, yeah, that's why I really understand that people who are business owners, if they are small or medium-sized enterprises, if they just compare the risks they have, they would say that they don't accept risking more or less everything they build for a potential risk, which they consider themselves to be pretty small for themselves. But I don't know if we talked about what is called Kurzarbeit or short labor, because I saw, for instance, that the IMF, National Monetary Fund, uh, even wrote a study on this. So you can just Google this. And they just explain the money which is spent by governments. And then they just show that with the same money, you're much more effective by just paying a certain percentage of the of the wages for a certain time. So subsidizing a lot of companies with paying their, their salaries because 
you stabilize more or less the system. So I think especially if you see the small and medium-sized enterprises, they are the ones who are really hurt if the empl- uh, unemployment rate uh, goes up. But we'll just see what happens in future, that how many of those small companies will survive. And then you're back to Denmark. If the company just or the state just pays the salaries or indirectly pays the salaries, then also the small and medium-sized enterprises are able to survive. Right. And then it really does come down to, is that going to help bridge the gap until economic stability can be regained? And at that point in time, will the economic landscape or the business landscape look the same as it did? And so I think that we're all kind of adjusting and learning about how things have changed. I think to some extent, uh, we have had to amplify our core values as individuals. So this might be family. This might be human connection of the people around us. We found more value in those things that are very important in our lives that make us think very differently about our work and our businesses if we're business owners. And so it'd be interesting to see, too, when we get out of the pandemic someday <laughs> in the future, when we talk about you know entering a new normal or the next normal, as, as some folks might call it how we think differently about business and about enterprise and about our financial stability and the strength of our communities. And I think that we're still kind of in an interesting evolution towards that next normal as we get further into the pandemic, have the impact start to wear down on people and think very differently about what's really important. And the interesting thing, what I find is if you take this idea of this domino effect, then the opposite, eh, what they call an anti-fragile or checks and balances. And this Nicolas Taleb, who wrote this book, uh, Black Swan, eh, that, that something happens which you don't expect and then suddenly it's there because they thought there were only white swans and then they, they found a black one. But this pandemic is a white swan. So it happens all the time. So every, let's say, 20 or 30 years, you have a big pandemic. And then the question is how stable or how anti-fragile or how are the checks and balances in your system? And then let's say if you are able to separate certain effects from each other, let's say from a European point of view, if there is no connection between unemployment and health insurance, because it has nothing to do with each other, or college or education has nothing to do with your income or wealth, which is the case, let's say, in most places, because it's just paid by state or the, or the college fees are very low, then you have a more stable society. But the problem at the moment is, is that that's a very systematic structural discussion, which let's say you can schedule for after the crisis. But in the moment, you're in a crisis situation where you have to take action, very fast action. And then the question is, how do you stabilize in this current situation your whole system? Because everything gets out of control. And the problem also is, if you have this kind of domino effect, it's kind of exponential stuff uh, or a function which which is behind it. So if you have layoffs and you have more layoffs, then more companies get into trouble and they have to lay off. So you have a self, self-reinforcing mechanism in this kind of crisis. And that makes it so extremely dangerous. Right. I guess in the midst of so many challenges and so many different ways that things could present additional challenges for a long time. If you look forward into the future, are there things that make you feel optimistic about what the future may hold? Oh, that's a, that's probably uh, the most difficult question. There's an Italian philosopher who says, I'm optimistic 
person, let's say, because I'm very positive. But if you just see, let's say, the hard facts, and it doesn't matter if it's, if it's just pandemic or in general, then uh, it, sometimes it's very difficult to be optimistic. But I hope, and that's one, one part of me, I hope that the crisis just shows that we have to change stuff. And I hope that this whole idea that there should be more balance, for instance, also in companies between the stakeholders, that this crisis has shown in companies, but also as a society, that we really have to uh, establish more balanced systems and that in the long run, systems which only serve, let's say, one category of stakeholders, and at the moment, it is the shareholders, and you don't take care of the other ones, that systems are never stable, which are egoistic. So systems can only survive if you care for all the stakeholders in your whole system, if it is a company or if it is a society, that doesn't matter. So let's hope that the crisis has shown us that we need more stable systems. Right. I, I like the fact that we're taking this and, and turning it into not even just the thing that we think will happen, but the thing that we think we can make happen. So actions that you know we can take today to help create better outcomes in the future. And I think that's um, something that is a great optimistic stance that there's something that we can do to shape something better in the future. And of course, one of the big themes of the podcast here is trying to, you know, get people to tap into those things that help them think about how they can change the future in more positive ways. And I know you've kind of weaved into this conversation, some of the concerns you have about the future, but if you could provide kind of one bit of advice or um, maybe a call to action to business leaders of any sort, about shaping a better future, what would be that call to action that you would provide to them today? Yeah, to put it, let's say, very strongly is that I think in the end, that's also this whole idea with think with the end in mind. I mean, in the end, when you're dead, uh, the question is, what did you contribute to the world or to your environment? And if you then just change the perspective and you're in a weaker situation, then the question is, what is in your ability to help others? And then let's say as a business owner, I would say, is there a possibility of stabilizing the, the, your company and helping others uh, by, for instance, putting profits from the past into the company at the moment just to survive and stay together to end up as a stronger company after the crisis? But also, I also hope that people who are more privileged and have more power to play a, a much bigger role and also show others that also this individual personal action can play a major role. So let's say if people who are really very wealthy would just demonstrate that they help to stabilize their ecosystems and their companies and their suppliers, it would have an enormous impact also on the behavior of other people. Absolutely. And I think there's that's an interesting thing to think about and a great call to action for folks to be able to take what they have available to them. And if you have some level of power and influence, you've got a great opportunity to use that power and influence to shape a better future. And I really hope to see more organizations and more people step up and take that responsibility and really become leaders in how we shape a better future. And what's really also interesting about this, I think there's a lot of other folks that may not be in that strong economic position that also have the ability to share their perspectives and be honest about what they're experiencing to help 
shape that future that we all kind of envision that's better for us as individuals, but also better for us as societies. And then thinking about, you know, how people or consumers out in the world uh, support the companies that are emulating things that align with their values. We all have some level of maybe just not even just responsibility, but the ability for us to be able to take what we have to start shaping or start working towards that future that we envision. That's a little bit better for all of us. The interesting thing is I just, what which came to my mind is to end with a, an American quote. We all know this quote of John F. Kennedy, eh? don't ask what the country can do for you, ask what you can do for the country. And I think this one sentence symbolizes that the attitude should be a totally different one. So it's not about becoming wealthier and wealthier all the time. No, if you have much more wealth, then try to influence in a positive way what you can do for your country and not only subtracting as much as possible and don't care about the rest. What a great opportunity for folks to make a difference. So Tom Vanderlaub, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much for your time and the possibility to, uh, to share. Absolutely. Tom's mission is to leave the world in a better shape than when we were born. To do that, he takes his hard-earned lessons from life and business to bring light to the power of solidarity in organizations. He challenges leaders to adjust their mindset so that people aren't seen as resources, but as partners that help work toward a common mission. Let's talk about layoffs for a moment. Tom's assertion that layoffs should be avoided during challenging economic times may be a new concept to some. However, there are examples of organizations that have found creative ways to retain their workforce through this pandemic. In early October, Southwest Airlines, which of course is in an industry that was devastated by the pandemic, announced their plans to avoid layoffs and furloughs through 2021 by reducing executive salaries, pursuing union concessions, and other measures to stay afloat. I've included a link to an article from bizjournal.com that discusses their plan in more detail. This is innovation in the making. In these challenging times, when we are compelled to combine empathy with creative solutions, organizations have an opportunity to uncover new creative ways to maintain their humanity, maintain their image in the community, and maintain their employees. Those employees, in turn, will be more engaged, committed, and inspired to work together to shape a better future. I hope you can discover the power of solidarity and join the conversation about the benefits of cohesive, empathetic organizations. And while you do that, go on, go help shape the future. To learn more about Tom Vanderlub and his Who Are You Putting First initiative, visit whoareyouputtingfirst.org. That's whoareyouputtingfirst.org. Also, I've placed a link in the episode notes for his solidarity article on Corporate Rebels. Make sure to check that out. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this has been Humans Now and Then, hosted and produced by Rebecca Scott. Resources and episode notes can be found at humansnowandthen.com. Thank you for listening.